Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bonjour, bienvenue la série de sermons de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Please check it out. God bless you and take care. As always, it's a joy and blessing to be with you all this morning. Um, today we're going to talk about our God who heals, a loving God who takes our bitter and makes it sweet, a sovereign God who sees us dead, but is powerful enough to make us alive again. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15, we'll be reading verses 19 to 27. As always, we'll have the passage up front for you to follow along. In Exodus 15, 19 to 27, we read, When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Miriam the prophet, you say? You know, verses like this are really tough on people who don't affirm women in ministry. But for those of us who gladly do, we read it like this. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her. With timbrels and dancing, Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Verse 21 here is actually just the opening lines of this song of celebration. I believe the Brethren in Christ and other denominations as well would have something like what's happening in Exodus 15. They would have the men and the women on different sides of the sanctuary. Pastor Linda actually told me that in Macha, the Brethren in Christ in Zambia, they still do this. I'm not quite sure it would go over well around these parts with men on one side, women on one side. Maybe we'll try it sometime. Um, but yeah, in Exodus 15, the men and women are probably separated during this worship service. And as with some of the songs, you have parts, male and female. So in the first opening verses of Exodus 15, we have the entire song and Moses most likely leading the men. And now in our passage this morning, Miriam leads the women. It's also interesting, maybe just to me, that it's the women who have the instruments, who have dancing, and who seem to really know how to get down and get their praise on. Fascinating, I know, but I digress. So now in Exodus 15, after the song, we get to Mara. We get to our God who heals, our loving God who takes our bitter and makes us sweet, our sovereign God who sees us dead, but is powerful enough to make us alive again. Amen? Continuing in verse 22, we read, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink because his water was bitter. That's why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them to put, to put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, 
where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the big things you have done in our lives, for salvation and redemption, for sanctification and righteousness. Lord Jesus, we adore you for taking on our bitter and making it sweet. Holy Spirit, we lift you up for gifting us that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And we ask you to take the dead in us and make us alive and make us alive and make us alive again. Amen. Exodus 15 is actually one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It was actually one of the first passages I ever preached on. I actually remember the sermon because I was super 16 years old and I was so super prepared. I also remember this passage because for a while back then, my entire appreciation and studying of the Old Testament was done like this. Where is the Jesus part? Or, oh, this is the Jesus part. It must be good. For example, you might ask, what about Noah and the ark? Back then, I'd be like, oh, that's easy. The ark had one door. And you might say, okay, so what? The ark had one door. And I'd be like, boom, Jesus is the door, the only door to salvation. Whoever enters through him will be saved. So Noah and the ark is really just about Jesus being the door to salvation? No, no, let's not be ridiculous. But it's about God saving Noah, his family, and consequently all humanity as well. But the good part, don't forget the Jesus part, because it points to Jesus, the door, the only door to salvation. Okay, then what about David? My answer back then would probably be something like, you mean David and Goliath? And God taking out the giant that is sin? And the mouth of sin, which is like Satan? And how they both want to determine our destiny, but the Son of God rises up and defeats Satan's sin and death once and for all? You mean the story of David and Goliath and, and how it points to what Jesus did for us on Calvary's tree? You mean that story? Don't forget the Jesus part. Again, there have probably been worse takes and interpretations and even understanding of Old Testament passages. All you have to do is do a quick Google search and you'll find plenty. Um, but I think it's important to truly let Scripture tell the story it has been written to tell. And I think if you appreciate scripture, then you have to appreciate the people who live these stories. This does not mean that we won't still see pictures of Jesus. We will. The Old Testament prepares us for Jesus. The Old Testament prepares us for Messiah to come, Jesus to be born as was prophesied. The Old Testament prepares us for Jesus God to live and love, because in the Old Testament, God had lived and God had loved in the old scriptures. The Old Testament prepares the way for Jesus to die and to drink the bitter cup that only he could drink the bitter cup that was ours, all of ours. And the Old Testament even especially prepares us for the resurrection, for Jesus to be raised from the dead so that sin can be defeated forever and that our Father's kingdom would begin to be ushered in as the darkness starts to pass and as the true light starts to shine. Amen? But I think it's our work when we come to the Old Testament scriptures to appreciate the people who live these stories. It's not that Jesus part isn't amazing or good to see, no. It's just that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, amen? Is that Jesus' part doesn't have to be forced into any of these stories. Instead, let's appreciate the scriptures because they're about God's people. So how did they understand it as they lived? And in later generations, as they heard these lived stories, and if it's about God, our God who in whom we live and who in whom we have life, in whom we move and, and see him move, our God in whom we have our being, so how did they live and have life? How did they move and see God move? How did they learn that in God is where we truly find home? Home. That should be where we start. That should be where we park, so to speak. 
That's what we're going to try to do this morning in Exodus 15. How was this story lived and heard? How did God move? How did God's people find home? To the people of God as they lived this shared story, for their later generation as they heard these stories, I think the answer we will find is that our God is the God who heals. Amen? The answer we'll find is that our God is the God who takes our bitter and makes it sweet. The answer we'll find is that our God is sovereign. He's the one who sees us dead, but is powerful enough to bring us alive again. Amen? Our story begins right after Red Sea crossing. The exodus from Egypt is now on. After generations of crying out to God, after centuries of being enslaved, oppressed, beaten, and even killed, God sends his salvation. He chooses Moses who is as much chicken and coward, but, but Lord, I can't speak well. It's cool, we'll send your brother Aaron with you. And also, we'll send Miriam, she's a prophet. But God chooses his salvation to come to his people through this same Moses. Why? Why, because God is always the true hero of the story. Because God is always, when society think of us as weak, even when we think of ourselves as weak, God sees strong. Why? Because God is always humble enough to partner with us, with his people, to do great things in this world. Amen? So God works through Moses and also Aaron and Miriam to lead the people out of slavery. Now the Pharaoh obviously was too proud to heed and submit to some outside God, for he himself had many gods. He was too powerful to just cede his loyal Israelite subjects to leave, and too smart because he knew that free labor makes him richer on the backs of those slaves. Besides, what would everyone think? So Pharaoh balks time and time again he balks. And every single time the God of Israel proves to be all-powerful and greater than all the Egyptian gods. Pharaoh fights, but there's no defeating our God. All that was left defeated was Pharaoh, his pride, his intellect, his people, his gods, and his belief that he was the ultimate power and the sovereign even in his own land. So Israelites leave. After generations of crying out to God, they know that God hears. After centuries of being enslaved and oppressed, beaten and even killed, God sends his salvation. God calls forth his people, and his people turn out to be not just those born of Israelite blood or roots, but many other people who also fled Egypt with them. See, sisters and brothers, from the beginning, it was about faith and not family. Faith and not family or heritage that determine whether or not you belong to God. Amen? It was faith. So with great faith and fervor, God's people, the Israelites, and those who are now putting their faith and future in the hand of the God of the Israelites, the people of faith leave Egypt and they set out for the promised land. But that Pharaoh, oh, that Pharaoh, that Pharaoh was still not ready to let them go. So Pharaoh gathers his best chariots and his best men, it turns out that ever since the beginning, the powerful don't like to lose free labor. Who knew? Pharaoh and all his horses and chariots and men quickly reach the desert, marching Israelites, and they overtake them. They actually trap them. It was the Red Sea without boats and more than likely without even one person who knew how to swim. And even swimming would be a fantasy because you'd have to swim with children and families and tribes and all your possessions. Pharaoh and all his horses and chariots and all his best men trap all of Israel with all its children and families, tribes and possessions. Angry and venomous Egypt on one side and the unforgiving and unrelenting Red Sea on the other side. The people see this 
and they grow as afraid as they had ever been. In the face of this great enemy, they take their eyes off of God, who had been with them through the miracle after miracle. They take their eyes off of God, who had led them out of Egypt, who was physically present with them in the desert, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right up front so that all of Israel could see. They take their eyes off of God. They only see the enemy and they cry out, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Then we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. You know, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. The people take their eyes off of God, and all they see is doom and gloom. All they see now is death and their destruction. They forget God who had saved them with miracle after miracle, who had led them out of slavery and oppression in Egypt, who was physically there with them, cloud by day, right up front for all to see. Pillar of fire by night, right up front for all to see. But our God hears, amen? And our God responds. And God fights for his people. You know, in an often overlooked part of this scene, yes, God tells Moses to raise his staff and and stretch out his hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. But we miss this part. God also moves from the front to stand in between Israel and her greatest enemy. Sisters and brothers, that'll preach. How blessed are we that when it's time to battle, our Lord's battle cry is, be still. I'm in control. How blessed are we that when our greatest enemies rise up against us in all their fake glory, our God is not neutral. No, no, our God walks into battle by placing himself in between the enemy and us. How blessed are we, brothers and sisters, how blessed are we that our God doesn't see obstacles. He sees miracles. Our God doesn't see deep seas. He only makes dry ground. Our God doesn't see doom and gloom that we are so easily blinded by. No, no, our God sees opportunity. Our God sees opportunity to take our bitter and make it sweet, to take the dead in us and bring it back to life again. Sisters and brothers, how blessed are we? How blessed are we? How blessed are we to be the children of the high king of heaven and earth? How blessed are we, sisters and brothers, to be loved, to be loved, to be loved by our God who is love. So the people of God passed through on dry ground, and and you probably know this part. Pharaoh and all his horses and chariots and men, well, they do not. The greatest power this world had to offer was crushed. The greatest military and world ruler people put their trust or fear behind was crushed. Egypt was crushed. The weak, the broken, the oppressed, the strangers, the slaves, the poor, the Israelites, God's people, with God on their side, they triumph. With God on our side, the weak triumph over the strong. The broken are made whole again. The oppressed have their chains broken. The strangers come home again. The slaves are set free. The poor are made rich. With God on our side, we triumph. You hear that this morning? Tell me you at least hear that this morning. With God on our side, we will triumph. Amen? 
See, this is why Moses and then Miriam and the Israelites and the strangers who by faith left Egypt with them. This is why the people of God saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver fell into the sea. He has hurled into the sea. The, sea. the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Sisters and brothers, how blessed are we that with God on our side, we triumph. We triumph. We triumph. Amen. Amen. And then we get to Mara. After all the excitement and euphoria of the Red Sea, you're now in the heat of the desert. Not only are all of you seemingly wandering aimlessly, but also you're out of water. Not only are you out of water, but you also can't find any water. For three days you have no water, and you can find no water. And oh yeah, you're in the desert for three days. But God decides to shine on you. At least you think so. After three days of aimlessly wandering, you find it. Yes, you're out of water. Yes, you're in the desert. Yes, it's been three days, but you found it. After three days in the desert, you found water. Only this is Mara. Mara, which means bitter. Named that because in that culture back then, names have meaning. And the meanings usually tell your fate. And the fate for you and for your children. The fate for you and your family. The fate for all of God's people and all their possessions. The fate at Mara was bitter. So naturally you're angry. Naturally you're highly frustrated. And naturally, well, I know what happens sometimes in this Christian life. You complain. First, you complain to your spouse or traveling companions. Then you complain with and to your children. Then you complain to your family, your neighbors, and eventually you see Moses. Moses! You see Moses. So yes, guess what? You're going to complain to him as well. He seems to have this God's ear. So maybe if you scream a little louder, or at least if you complain to the right person, God might do a better job of listening, feeling your anger. Seeing your frustration, hearing your complaint, maybe, just maybe. So you complain to Moses. Lots of you actually complain to Moses. And you all complain and grumble like, Moses, what are we supposed to drink? Where is the water that we need to live? I mean, Moses, you should be happy. This time we didn't even use the age-old cry. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Then we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone that have served the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. Moses, you should be happy. You're angry, Moses. That's good. You're highly frustrated. And you complain and surely you grumble together. But wait, Moses hears it. Moses hears it. He hears you. And even better than that, Moses now cries out to the Lord. But while you're angry, Moses is not angry. Maybe he's a little bit frustrated. He's not complaining or grumbling like you were. But you notice as he cries out that there's something about Moses that's different. He's desperate. So very desperate. And miracle upon miracle, God shows up again. God answers Moses. God answers your grumbles and complaints. But with a tree? A tree, Moses? A tree? Yes, a tree. God commands Moses to throw a piece of wood into the water, and he does. You think it's a little weird. 
Moses does this wild and weird and and faith-filled thing. He throws a piece of wood into the water. Moses throws the piece of wood into the water. Miracle upon miracle, it works. Throwing a piece of wood into the water works. Mara, bitter. Bitter water is made sweet. Bitter water is made fit to drink. God shows up. God provides. God comes through. Sisters and brothers, that'll preach too. If not, it's at least a really good bumper sticker. God shows up. God provides. God comes through. As always, make the bumper sticker. Get the profits. Donate to the building fund. God shows up. God provides. God comes through. Amen? You know, life is good. Life is great. The people have water. Mara was known for his bitterness, but now through miracle upon miracle, a piece of wood is thrown into the water, and now it's fit to drink. Yes! But now, with the people's full attention, now with their full trust, for now anyway, and right then and there, the Lord God makes a promise. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, if you do what is right in his eyes, If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. You know, you're not familiar with covenants or contracts. I mean, you used to be a slave, but you're familiar with a good deal. The God who had shown shown himself greater than Pharaoh, greater than all the gods of Egypt, The God who had led you out of slavery and chains in Egypt. The God who had parted the Red Sea for you and all your kin to pass through on dry ground. The God who had now made bitter water sweet and fit to drink. That God seems to like you. No, that God seems to love, love, love you. And you know this because why? God shows up, God provides, and God comes through. Amen? So the covenant or contract seems to be simply this. Listen to God. Follow God. Do what is right. Submit to his commands. Keep his laws. Do this and you'll be safe from all the curses in Egypt. Do this and the God who shows up, the God who provides, the God who comes through, will promise to be the God who heals you. That sounds like a very good deal, amen? And that's not all. After God makes this deal, he leads you to Elam. You, Israel, the people of God, you who had wandered for days in the desert without water, You who first found Mara and its bitter water, you are now in Elam. Elam, where 12 springs and 70 palm trees were. And there at Elam, you would be camped near even more water. And that's the story. That's the story of God's people back then. It's the story of our God who heals. It's the story of our God who takes bitter and makes us sweet. Our sovereign God who sees us dead, but is powerful to make us alive again. But for us today, I believe that those things that the people of God learned back then, these things we must learn and keep on learning. We must hold on and keep on holding on. We must know and keep on knowing. The first thing is simply this. Our God heals. Our God heals. Amen. And for some of us this morning, it's the healing of our souls that we need. We have never, ever fully surrendered to God. We have never, ever chosen his free gift of salvation. Maybe it's only one person in this room. Maybe it's one and a few more. But this morning, if you have never asked God's forgiveness for your sins, if you have never pledged your heart and given your life to Christ, if you have never asked God to come and and be the Lord of your life, if you have never asked the Spirit to come and live in you, this morning, if you need healing for your soul, Cry out to our God. Cry out to our God, for our God hears. Cry out to God, 
Cry out to God because our God shows up. Our God provides and our God comes through. Cry out to God because our God shows up. Our God provides. Our God comes through. Amen? Let the Lord heal your soul this morning. You know, for some of us, it's the healing of our hearts that we need this morning. We have let the love for our God run cold. We have taken our eyes off of God, our Father, and now all we see is death, doom, destruction, and darkness. We have stopped living like Christ the Son. We have stopped loving like Jesus calls us to love. We have stopped heeding the voice of God, the Holy Spirit, that lives within our heart of everyone who truly believes. This morning, some of us need healing of our hearts. So cry out to God. Cry out to God for our God hears. Cry out to God because our God shows up. Cry out to God because our God provides. Cry out to God because our God comes through. Amen? Let the Lord heal your heart this morning. And for some of us, God wants us. You know, he wants us like he wanted Israel and all his people back then. God wants you. All of you. For some of us, that means that he has to take away all the support we've grown close to getting, relying on. He's got to take away all the support that we've grown to rely on. Why? Because he wants us to rely on him and not ourselves. Not what we create, not what we see, but him and him alone. For some of us, God wants to remove all our ordinary way of doing things because God wants you. And God desires more than ordinary for you. Because here's the thing, God doesn't want your routine. God wants a relationship. For some of us, God wants to do something new and unexpected. But to do that, to do that, God needs all of you. God's about you and relationship with you. And following God is often never about routine or what we get used to. No, it's about relationship. God wants you this morning. Let the Lord heal your relationship with him this morning. Child of God, come home again. Come home again. Come home again. Let the Lord heal you. Amen? Now, the second thing that I believe that the people of God learned back then and that we must keep on learning, they held on to that we must keep holding on to. They knew that we must keep on knowing. The second thing is that God is here to make your bitter God is here to make whatever it is that's bitter in your life, God's here to make it sweet again. You know, I wish more of us knew and were taught and teach ourselves. I wish more of us knew and were reminded, knew and held on to this simple fact. Following Jesus is hard. We know it by our lives and we deny it with our minds. We know it's not easy to love your enemies. We know it's not easy to love someone better than we love ourselves. We know it's not easy to truly make God the Lord over everything, every single aspect of our lives. But somehow our, our minds just can't grasp it, even though we live it every day. Following Jesus is hard. Being faithful to God is hard, especially when you try to do it on your own. Listen, we live in a world that's not as it should be. We can all see that. It's easy to see the darkness. 
We walk in places of brokenness. We all know that. We can all name the brokenness in our world. We wade through these everyday scenes where it's easier to see darkness than to even know any light. But sisters and brothers, remember our Jesus. Remember our Jesus who says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Take heart. Take heart. Because I have overcome the world. Take heart because your Jesus has overcome the world. Amen? Sisters and brothers, following Jesus is hard. But this is why God has blessed us with his Holy Spirit. We cannot follow Jesus if we're not making room for the Spirit. We cannot follow Jesus if we haven't learned to hear the Spirit's voice. We cannot follow Jesus if we don't submit to the Spirit daily. Daily. Hourly. Minute by minute. Second by second. You cannot follow Jesus if you don't know and you don't have a life that submits to the Spirit. Every single day, we must submit to the spirit that lives within. We must be led by the spirit. We must follow the spirit of God and not the spirit of the flesh that wars also in our hearts and in our world. Sisters and brothers, being faithful to God is hard, especially on your own. But take heart, take heart, take heart. God didn't create you to do this on your own, amen? Sisters and brothers, this is why he's blessed us with also the body of Christ. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other because in the body, we get to see God's love take on skin. We need each other because in the body, we get to feel the touch of God's love. We need each other because in the body, we get to see the kingdom come. We need each other because in the body, we get to see God's will be done. We need each other because in the body, we get to see where God's moving and we're blessed to go and take part in it. This humbles me to the depths of my being. That the God of this universe partners with us. The God of this universe wants you. It, it humbles me. I don't even know what to say. That the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who died on Calvary's tree, the one who lives in billions of people around the world, he wants you. Sisters and brothers, we're not meant to do this alone. That's why he's given us the spirit. But that's why he's given us the body. We need each other. Amen? Sisters and brothers, take a look around this room. Or maybe close your eyes. Sometimes that helps me. I always tell people... If I was in school 20 years ago, like today, I'd probably be diagnosed ADD. But I'm not. I'm old, millennial, so I'm not ADD. <laughs> or diagnosed anyway. But look around this room. And if you need help like I do, close your eyes. Think about who has helped you see God's love take on skin. Think about who has helped you feel God's love. Think about who has helped you see God's kingdom come. Think about who God has sent you that has helped you see God's will be done. Who was it? Because sisters and brothers, forever and always, we need each other. Because forever and always, we are members of Christ's body and also members of one another. Sisters and brothers, we are not meant to do this alone, but together. 
So the question then becomes, how are you being the body of Christ? How do you love the body of Christ? How does the body of Christ love you? Our God desires also to make the bitter in our life sweet again. So take heart. Trust Jesus. He has overcome the world. There's nothing that we need to fear, for our God holds everything in his hand. Trust Jesus. He has gifted you the spirit. Trust Jesus. He has blessed you with the body. Sisters and brothers, we must not be the people who spend so much of our time bemoaning the church and what the church isn't. Because I got news for you. We're the church. And I got even deeper news for you. We're all Jesus has left. Right? In your Bible, what does Jesus say? I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he's doing. What he's left behind is simply two things, the spirit and the church. And if you're not listening to the spirit and you're spending all your time bemoaning the body, you are not being faithful to Christ. But worse than that, you're not being what this world needs to come to Christ. He's left us the body and he's left us the spirit. We must spend time building up both, listening to both, walking with both, because that is how we bring light to this world. Amen? You know, the final thing that I believe that the people of God learned back then and that we must learn and keep on learning, we must hold on to and keep holding on to, we must know and keep on knowing. The final thing is that God is able to see the dead in us and he's powerful enough to bring us back to life again. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's the same power God desires to give you this morning. This means that there is no decay that cannot be redeemed. There is no addiction that cannot be conquered. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. There is no chain that cannot be broken. God wants you to be redeemed and walking in the new life the Spirit gives. Sisters and brothers, God wants you to be set free. And for those of us who feel far off, our Father's waiting by the side of the road. The Spirit's in this room urging you this morning. Because if we feel like strangers, if we don't. If we feel far away, he's always near. Sisters and brothers, our Father wants us to come home again. Amen? And God wants us to fully rely on him. You know, for so much I thought, man, these Israelites complain all the time. They complain all the time. They complain all the time. I said that so much I didn't realize how many times I complained. But deeper than that, I didn't realize that the reason they had test after test after test is that you never perfectly rely on God. You always need to rely on God more. If there's a place you feel safe, that I fully rely on God here, that lasts about 30 seconds. Then life happens. And I think that's the story we miss in Israel. It wasn't that they complained. We complain too and sometimes worse, right? And it wasn't that they didn't see the miracles. You know, I used to be like, man, they crossed the Red Sea. Like he was right in front of them with a pillar and a fire. Why are they complaining? And the Spirit said, but he died for you and you complain. The Spirit said, he saved you time and time again and you complain. He's brought miracle upon miracle upon miracle in your life, and you complain. 
But the message this morning isn't that God doesn't want to hear our complaints or our grumbles, but it's simply that God's going to take away everything we hold as safe and help us to keep relying on him. Sisters and brothers, where can you rely on God more this morning? God wants us to fully rely on him. So I guess the last thing I have to say is take that first step today. Take that baby step today. Pledge your soul. Pledge your heart. Pledge yourself. Pledge all yourself to God today. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team back up for our last song. We also have the intercessors up front. They will pray for you for anything that you need. Please, please join us in worship. But if there's anything that God said to you and spoke to you this morning, you need to sit in your seat and just talk to him or or listen to him and, and hear his voice. Please, please do that as well. Before I go, I just want to say one thing. Praise God, our God who heals. Amen? Praise God, our loving God who takes that bitter and makes it sweet. Amen? And praise God, our sovereign God who sees the dead in us, who sees the decay in us, who sees maybe the darkness in us, and he makes us alive. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Sing this aloud together this morning. Nothing else matters. Nothing
the heavens. Let we, the church, be all about you. From our heart to the heavens, let we, the church, submit to the Spirit. Praise our God who heals. Praise our God who makes our bitter sweet again. Praise our God who sees the dead in us and brings new life as he redeems us. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God, amen? Amen. God bless you all.